Welcome to episode 23 of African and American with your girl, Six the Goddess. And keep in mind, I'm a goddess and I'm sensitive about my shift. Peace and love, peace and love, peace and love. Um, here we are on our 23rd episode. How exciting. Um, there's been a lot going on. I kind of like don't even know like where do I want to start this week because there's just I feel like there's a list, like, <clears throat> you know what I'm saying? Like, all right, where do I start? Because there's there's so much going on. And in the midst of everything that goes on, it confirms one thing to me, and that is our lack of organization. Um, our lack of organization and prioritizing, which those two things pretty much go hand in hand, but... The lack of the two is our downfall because I realized that we really have the manpower. We have the mental capacity. We just misdirect our energy so much. Um, let's just go into the first topic that I, I want to talk about because I know this is just like one of the things that we're seeing the most right now and that is the tender age facilities where they're housing like the immigrant children that have been separated from their families. And I am just amazed when I sit back and I look at the support, you know, and the recognition and the awareness that these children are getting um, in their circumstances. Now, I've seen celebrities that I have never ever seen utter a word about black anything okay celebrities that have never lifted a single word out of their mouth towards their own people in a in a real way I even see them posting about the situation with the immigration and children like that. When they claim like, well, see, when you ask them like, so why don't you speak about black issues? Then they're like, oh, why don't you get involved in politics? You know, but when it's anybody but black people in trouble, that's when suddenly it's like, you know, now all of a sudden here come the political posts and stuff. So that's the number one thing that that just just like is is so ironic to me. And then like, I, I know y'all probably seen the clip of... um old girl on the news I forgot her name but a news reporter and you know she was discussing the issue with their immigrant children and she's like trying to get through her spiel and she's like just give me a minute because these children are and I'm looking at these white tears and I'm like girl bye just buy, like, please, like, who do you think that you are playing with? And, and, you know, some people might look at it like, uh, it being insensitive and it's not insensitive. It's just what's right. And I'm just looking at these white tears and I'm like, wow. So y'all do have tear ducts. <laughs> so you are able to put on Oscar winning performances for tears. So that's crazy. Like, you know, when it's ours, there's no tears. And so you wonder why we say we got to cry for our own. We have to feel for our own. We got to protect our own because I have yet to see a single tear be shed over our children being ripped apart, you know, from their families. And the the thing is, we've been ripped apart and are currently being ripped apart for our family, from our families. And this has been happening for 400 years. Like, like I said, we, we were having a discussion about this on a, a video I had put up. And I'm like, we've been getting our families ripped apart for 400 years. It happens every day, B. When you have brothers in jail doing more time for nonviolent minor drug offenses, and you have them doing more time than violent white criminals, violent white rapists, that's tearing families apart. You're taking people away from their families in a discriminatory way, in an unfair way, um, in an unbalanced way. So, you know, it's like, and when we date back from when we first, when the transatlantic slave trade commenced, we look at how families were torn apart then, how we had our babies literally ripped from us. And not only were our babies ripped from us, but we were forced to raise the people's children that ripped our children from us, forced to treat their children better. You know, and, and I know a lot of people like to say, well, you know, it wouldn't be so many blacks in jail if 
you know, they weren't committing the crimes. And I'm going to say this, if you feel that way, you're very unaware to what the everyday life of a lot of black people is like. There are brothers out there where the police literally follow them around, where the police like just sit and wait on them to do something. People fail to realize the police are looking, okay, looking for things that we're doing. I'm pretty sure, actually, I'm I'm going to say I'm certain that if the police were following around white people all day and watching their every move, they'd be getting arrested left and right too. <laughs> so it's not necessarily, oh my God, black people commit more crimes. No, it is that that is who they are policing. Once again, the police starts from what? The slave trade. I'm sorry, the, the slave patrol. So it's the same thing that goes on now. They're not following white people around, you know, looking for you to mess up. They're not following you around looking to catch you slipping. There are brothers. That's why it's important to connect with your community because, like I said, there are brothers out there that they can show you the same police every day coming to check for them. What you doing today? You know, what they say when they say about, like, going through your partner's phone, like, don't go looking because you go looking for something, you're going to find it. Yeah. So, of course, if the police are looking at us like, okay, I just I just can't wait for you to screw up, you're always going to, that's always, you're not going to find what you're looking for. All right, so we got brothers being ripped apart from their families. We got brothers being killed off from not ever being able to be with their families again. And I don't know why we feel as though we've progressed past this. Because like I said, this is how it started and it's still going on. This is not something that we've overcome. This is not something that's not happening any longer. This is currently still happening. So, you know, whenever the youth are abandoned or misguided that's automatically a reflection of us and if we look at the reason why our youth are going through half of the things they're going through right now is because they don't have all of our attention there are no white tears for black children there's no sympathy for black children there's no understanding for black children so therefore if we as black adults are directing our attention to anyone beside them, we're doing them an injustice. And that's not being cold-hearted. You know why? Because those non-black children have people that are going to help them. Okay? These white folks don't, you know, giddy up and round it up thousands of dollars for these children. They're campaigning, shedding their tears for these children. How is that being insensitive? Those children aren't being left out in the damn cold. They got, they're going to have plenty of help. Trust me. They're going to be all right. These white folks are going to rally and do whatever they got to do to save these kids. You know who's not, who's not getting that attention? It's our children. So if I sit here and say, okay, you know, what these children have going on is misfortunate. But uh, back to our kids being gunned down. Back to it being legal to kill our children. Okay? <laughs> Back to killing one of our children, being a cash cow for white people, okay? Back to the police harassing us and throwing us in jail for years and years for stupid reasons. You know what I'm saying? So back to, back to us being programmed to kill each other. Back to our youth having no type of guiding and, and, mis and, and understanding as to why they are prone to have such hatred toward each other and want to hurt each other. I mean, forget all that. Let's go ahead and cry tears for people who do not need our tears. And if, if we're not looking at the our everyday life as a battlefield, you won't think it's that serious. Like, oh, well, you know, you can still care for others and care for your own. That's just not the way it works. You know, everybody want to straddle this fence. Everybody want to have this gray area. But that's not the way it works. This is very black and white, no pun intended. So, you know, if you got somebody, if you, you sometimes in life, we have to make hard decisions. Now, this should not be a hard decision because I know a damn sure ain't a hard decision for me because I know when it's me, I want me and my people to live. I know ain't nobody else going to be saving my life, so I'm sorry. But, I, you know, I, I love my life. I want to continue on. So I don't feel bad. I know some of y'all might feel bad. I don't lose a wink of sleep because there ain't nobody losing a wink of sleep over us. And this is something especially to remember as black women, especially as black women, you know, we have the stereotype of being so angry you know, maybe black women come off as angry because, you know, we're not really heard. You know, whenever we try to express ourselves, 
stand up for ourselves, demand our respect, we're automatically written off as aggressive. You know, so we're not being heard. So I know how it feels to not be heard, but sometimes it is what it is. So, like I said, it shouldn't be a hard decision or it shouldn't be a hard choice, but for some people it is. However, if you got somebody where, you know, they have a, a paper cut or there's someone that has like no leg, one arm, you know, and missing an eyeball, who are you going to help first? You're going to help the one that needs it more. So it's like our children are the one with one eye poked out and one arm and one leg struggling, trying to make it. And we're over here like leaving them alone like, oh, but they got a they got a paper cut. Okay, so that's a life decision. That's just the way it goes. Do we want to help the person? Do we want to be able to help everybody? Yeah. And that would have been great. That would have been great for us to be able to help everyone and have everyone help us. That would be ideal. I wish it could be that way, but it's not. And it's not not that way through our decision or, or our actions because we've always been the most forgiving, you know, most sensitive, um, empathetic people out there. So on our behalf, you know, I think we definitely left it open to try to have it be that way about all people and we all help each other, but it's not being reciprocated. So what has happened now is We've gotten sucked dry trying to be there for others. And then when we need it the most, everyone's legally blind. You know, all of a sudden, it's not that big a deal. You're tripping. And that's how people get out of helping black people. Oh, you're, you're aggressive. Oh, you're overreacting. Oh, it's not that serious. And then boom, they're off the hook. Okay, now I don't have to worry about having to actually help these people. I can just do what everyone else does and just say that they're tripping and they should just be quiet and abide by the rules and then this stuff won't be happening. Boom. Issue dissolved. Now I don't have to actually step up and do anything. Because what happens? What happens when we let somebody take and take from us and nothing's being replenished? That's called a slow death. That's a slow death. Um... So another point that we were speaking about in the post was, um, you know, people like to say that all oppressed people should come together and stick together. And it's like, okay, that's not a new idea or a new concept. I think that we sometimes forget that the civil rights movement was not a movement for black people to get equal rights okay the civil rights movement was complete bs to be honest however um, when we were fighting for a seat at that table for whatever reason <clears throat> it was on behalf of colored people all right this is this is another one of the facts that we forget when them white folks had up them signs saying colored you know, white and then colored. <laughs> colored also meant the Asian people. It also meant the Hispanic people, Indian people, and whoever else. It was white and not white. So when we were fighting for those rights, it was for everyone that was being separated into that colored bathroom or that colored water fight. It wasn't white and black. It was white and colored. You know, all, all these words are for a reason. So now we're fighting Okay, we're going into establishments, literally getting spit on, literally getting beat on and beat down. Literally, this is not like a figure of speech, literally. Sending our children into schools, sacrificing our children. Do you know how serious that is? You know what I'm saying? We have one white man in history sacrifice himself for human, for the, the greater of human good. And we commemorate him and, and make a whole religion about him and dedicate 10% of our income to him the rest of our lives, a.k.a. your friend Jesus. But then we have our ancestors, okay? We say, oh, God did the ultimate sacrifice. He sacrificed his own son. So what about our ancestors that sacrificed them their own children going into these all-white schools to be the first to integrate them? That is a sacrifice of your children. Do you know what the children went through in those facilities? The dehumanization, torture, being treated unfairly, stereotyped, discriminated against, dehumanized. So these are our ancestors that sacrificed their children for that. So now, 
once all the integration occurred and we were given the equal rights, do you... Okay, I know everyone listen to me on voice right now. You can't see the quotation marks, but I have the quotation marks when I say civil rights and equal rights because we all know, child. I'm just saying it so you can understand where I'm coming from, but we all know, child, please. <laughs> we all know, like, I'm just... This, this is the best way I can express it. Like, we all know, nigga, please, but I'm saying it for the sake of this conversation. Okay, so now... You know, goal achieved. All right. So no more whites and coloreds. All right. You guys can have bank accounts now. Okay. You guys can have credit now. All right. So that's that's what they wanted. So now the colored non-blacks, the Hispanic community, Asian community, Indian community, and so on and so forth. Now they're like, oh, okay. Now we're allowed to move money around in this country. We're allowed to have businesses undisturbed and we're allowed to, all right. Okay, so we don't have to have separate everything anymore. We're all in one, all right. Woo, thank you, black people. Thank you for caring so much about sitting at this table because now I am empowered and I can go ahead and, and go forth and do great things for myself economically and socially. Somebody show me the last time where the Asian community has donated or contributed any way to the black community here in the United States. Show me where. Show me where they're supporting our businesses. Show me where they're speaking out about the injustices against our children. Show me where the Hispanic community is investing into the black community or are they investing into their own communities? Because the last time I checked, that's what it was. Little Havana. Okay. Um, so then we have some people arguing, well, there was, there are black people in Latin America. And my response to that is go tell them that. Don't tell that to me. I know that. I know that in a lot of, um, for example, Brazil, second largest population of African people outside of Africa. Okay, Costa Rica, Panama, black people, black is my sweatshirt. But when you talk to them, what do they say most of the time? And once again, can we not like take things so literally and to say, oh, well, they don't all, I know, once again, we, there are always exceptions. But the few exceptions is not what makes the difference. So we focus on the majority. The majority is what moves. So majority of Afro-Latinos, whatever we want to refer to them as, black, Hispanics, black, Spanish people, as long as you get the visual on what I'm saying. We could argue all day about what they are really to be called. But if you talk to them, they can be from Panama and you'll say, you know, oh, you're black and they'll say, or you'll say, oh, you'll say, oh, you're African. They'll say, no, I'm Panamanian. You have Afro-Latinos in Puerto Rico. Black is this sweatshirt and they say, oh, you're black or oh, you're African. They say, I'm Puerto Rican. So, I mean, yeah, would it be great to be able to help them out and unite with them? Yeah. However, they don't claim themselves as African or black most of the time. Most of the time, they don't want to have anything to do with your black ass. So, you know, the people arguing, well, there are some black people in Latin America. How is that relevant? How does that help this situation at all? Because they don't claim us. So what are we supposed to do? Like beg them to sit at our lunch table, beg them to be there for our friend. If they don't want to be a part of us, they don't want to be a part of us. Because I think that the difference is they grow up with strong cultural traditions and we don't here. Okay, so. It may be hard for them to want to relate to us because in their eyes, they may see the lack of culture, the, the lack of unity. So in their eyes, they're just like, we don't want to be a part of that. We don't want to we don't want to have that label, not knowing that the white folks still going to call you a nigga. You know what I'm saying? They still going to throw you under the bus. But hey, in their mind, I guess they feel like being associated with being black means getting discriminated against means receiving racism, receiving criticism. So, you know, I can understand why they don't want to have that title because they're just not educated on that. They're, they're not even like, it's not really fair to judge them because they're so like, you know, it's a whole different ball game. You know, th then people say, oh, well, 
you had the brown berets where with the they stood with the Black Panther Party and and I'm just like, listen, there was some white people that stood with the Black Panther Party. <laughs> I feel like that's like enough said. Okay. So you had a few people in the Hispanic community that stood by us. Yeah, stood by us as we got our asses kicked. <laughs> they stood by us. Okay. And they didn't receive half of the issues that we received. They didn't receive half as of the ass whoopings that we received. So, yeah, they did exactly that. They stood by. So people are, you see how subconsciously when people even try to argue a point, they subconsciously will admit the point in their argument. Like, they stood by us. Exactly. There's a difference between standing by someone and standing with someone. Standing with someone means I'm getting my ass kicked too. You know, but the Hispanic community, as soon as they were able to get through the dirt and get through the dust, they built and empowered their own communities. I tell you what, try to go to Little Havana, okay, and get a job at one of their facilities. Matter of fact, there's a club here in Orlando called Mangoes, and it's a Latin club. Listen, you go in that club from the one that sweep the floors to the one that make your drinks to the DJ to the security are Latinos, okay? They're building their own businesses, employing their own people. They may have one or two black or white employees. Maybe we used to say they have one, but the majority is with their own, okay? Majority of Hispanic people, if you are not, if you're Cuban and you are, you will not be giving your money away to someone who's not Cuban. You, they don't let you in. So I don't know why we want to bring up, well, not all Hispanics. Okay, well, like I said, I mean, show me where these Hispanic businesses are investing into black businesses and communities. I mean, just show me the proof. And don't show me a few exceptions. Show me where majority of them are doing that. So certain things we don't like to say because it sounds so harsh once we say it. Like, we don't want to say, like, the Hispanic community don't give a damn about us. Like, we want to say, well, some of them, but the truth is, no, they don't. And the Hispanic community knows that, too, because I had some people coming at me like, oh, you're ignorant. You're not educated on. Shut up. Shut up. You know, just like I know the real deal. OK, I got a friend. He's Colombian. And he said his mom and dad was like he was. I like when people keep it real, like keep it a thousand with me. He was like, yeah, my parents told me I better not ever bring a black woman home. Do you know how many Latino families are telling their children that? Don't date a black woman. Don't date a black man. Please. Like, be for real. And I, I know nobody want to take that blame. Like, nobody wants it to be their people doing that. But if they're doing it, they're doing it. So don't come and, and see what happens when the Latino community tries to convince the black community that they are with us. When in reality, they may have stood by. A few may have stood by. They're arguing that because what's, what's a subconscious reason? Because once again, I say all the time. Everyone should be understanding of our stance on why we may feel a certain way or for our need to do for our own in this country. Everyone should be able to understand that. Anyone who doesn't understand that by now, they just don't want to. So when the Latino community come forward like, well, that's not true, okay? Some of us did stand by you and some of us, we are your friend. What's your point here? Is your point here for, for us to say, you're right. Let me just keep laying down over this puddle so you can walk over the water and, and not get wet. You know what? You're right. Because why do you care about us saying we only do it for ourselves? Fuck everybody else. Why do you have a problem with that? Because you know you piggyback off of us. You know that you send us in to do the hard work. You know we get the grunt end of it all and you just slide over. You know that. So that's why... You are personally threatened when we are saying, you know what? We ain't doing for nobody else no more. We ain't going to be nobody else's doormat. I ain't got nothing for none of y'all. Now, white people, Spanish people are like, oh no. We can't let that happen. Let's go ahead and express the issue we have with it. Do we go into the Latino communities and express how we're dissatisfied with how unified you are? No. You don't see black people going to anybody else's communities like that. Black folks just be taking whatever we can get. 
But then when it's us coming together saying, okay, due to the centuries of patterns, <laughs> all right, this is not something where it's like, we're coming up with this overnight or you hurt our feelings one time. So we're like, leave me alone. Like this is centuries and centuries of proven patterns of behaviors. What the hell? We didn't come to this conclusion based off of anything minute, anything small. This is proven. So if it has been proven that nobody is going to advocate for us, really support us, or get their asses kicked with us, then it's very important for us to be on our own. It's very important for us to support each other exclusively. And everybody got a problem with that. Nobody want to lose their workhorses. So, um, life is difficult. We have to make difficult choices. I feel like as African people, we're constantly torn because we, since we are melanated, we do vibrate at such a high frequency, which does allow for us to have such a strong conscience. And we feel everything so deeply. And for some of us, it's definitely a, an internal conflict and we a conflict and we have to actually work at focusing on our own because our hearts can be so big that it's so easy for us to, you know, even though our leg is blown off for us to want to go and, and help the next person up. Like that's just our nature. So for some of us, yeah, you will feel conflicted. But whenever you do feel that way, you just kind of got to like, focus. All right? Because these are our children. So when it comes to our children, we have, um, I had saw a post about that, that I had posted as well. And it was like, whenever I see black children, I see my own children. And that's a fact. So when I know that's what I do, whenever I have difficulty with something, I just think about my child. I'm like, okay, I got to do it for him. Once I know I got to do it for him, it, it pushes me in a different way. So if we're looking at all black children as our children, then even if we are tempted to go astray or to divide our attention, we can say, you know what? No, our kids depend on us. Focus. We got to do it for them. All right. So, um, so that's the key. And, and so I just, I wanted to talk about this because like I said, this is, this is all we're seeing right now. This is all we're seeing right now. This is something where the the most energy it should have gotten from us is to peep the game, okay? Peep the game about the tender age centers and stuff like this. So, you know, definitely peep game. Pay attention to what's going on. However, that's as far as it should go. Like, oh, man, that's so sad, you know? Now, back to the war we're in. Because that's, what, that's how it happens with everyone else. And I'm not sitting here saying that all white people or all Hispanic people or all Asian people, when they see something bad happen to us, they're like, good. You know, that's what those niggers get. I'm not saying that they're necessarily doing all that, but, you know, the most that they're taking it is like, oh, that's so sad. Then they're proceeding right on what they're doing. <laughs> so that's something for us to take note of, you know, just stay focused and know how far to take it. So, uh, Monday was my sunlight's earth strong. He turned 10 years old. And, and, and I'm just sitting there like, I remember the night before his birthday. So, like, Sunday night I was meditating and I'm thinking to myself, my child is 10. Like, it, it, it's just like, <laughs> I, I can't believe it. I really, I, you know, you, when you're a kid, you hear grownups say like, oh, time flies or, you know, you're growing so fast and you hear that, but it's like, eh. and now I really understand. Cause my mom used to say that to me, like, oh honey, you're growing up so fast. And I used to be like, what does that even mean? You know what I'm saying? Like, mom, please. Like it's, you know, people grow up. That's what happens. But now that I have my own son growing, I'm just like, <gasps> He's really becoming a young man. Like, I'm just, wow. So, um, <laughs> I wanted to tell the story about when I had my son, okay? Just, just on behalf of my baby love. Like, I just want to talk about him for a little bit because 
when I uh when I look at him, I'm just like I know I say this all the time, but I wish that when I was a kid, I knew the things that he knows. I wish that I had the the mindset that he has. And uh I'm just amazed like watching a child that knows who they are from off rip who off rip already knows they have to be held to royal standards and act accordingly, you know. A child that meditates, does yoga, things of that nature. Like, I'm just kind of, uh, I don't know. I'm just kind of, like, taken aback by him sometimes. So, let me tell y'all the story about <laughs> when I had Elijah. <laughs> so, I was given the due date of, like, June... It was like, I want to say June 9th or 10th or yeah, something like that. Either 9th or 10th. I can't remember what the exact date was. So anyway, so my due date comes like a few days before I'm getting everything ready. You know, got my, I put some braids in my hair, like got my hair done, like, you know. So I'm just preparing for the baby, packing my bag. I was supposed to be having him at um, a birth center, uh, you know, to try to have a, as natural and holistic of a birth as I possibly could. I wanted to have him in the water and stuff like that. So I'm preparing. I'm walking, drinking lots of water, you know, just trying to do whatever I can to get the baby to start getting down there. So days go by and it's nothing. And it's it's not even like, oh, I'm feeling a contraction here or there. There is no signs of anything happening. So I go back to the doctor and I'm like, Doc. <laughs> I'm like, Doc, I don't know. I don't know what what got to be done. Who I do I have to write a letter? Who I need to talk to? But this baby got to come out. Okay, I'm in Florida. Okay, do you know what Florida is like in the month of June? It is like, I just, not even like an oven. An oven is more dry than Florida in June. So it's just this humid, hot, swampy mess. So I was like, I was dying. I was like, listen, doc, like I said, whatever letter has to be written, whatever has to happen, that's fine with me. But this baby got to go. So the doctor ends up sending me to the hospital to do a stress test. I don't need a stress test. I'm telling you, I'm clearly stressed out. Okay. This baby has been inside me an extra good 10 days, all right? So you give me a stress test? I don't need a test of my stress. I'm telling you right now, I'm stressed out. And it's like at a level tw uh, 10 or 12. It's off the charts. On a 1 to 10, it's a 12. I'm stressed out, okay? There is a human being getting exceptionally large inside my body. He's not supposed to be in here this long. He's getting huger and huger. I don't even know if huger is a word, but it's a word right now. So they send me to get the stress test. Go take the stress test. And it's like, everything's fine. They have me like walk on a treadmill, drink some stuff. I didn't know what was going on. Isn't it amazing before you have knowledge of what's going on, how much you let these people do to you without even questioning it? They give you some and say, drink it, you drink it. They give you this, they take it, you take it. Wow. Looking back, I'm like, I had so much trust in these mofos. What the hell was I thinking? But anyway... So it comes back that nothing's wrong uh, with the stress test. So she's like, well, if nothing's wrong, then we're not going to induce you. We're only going to induce you if something's wrong. So I'm like, I'm going to tell you what's wrong. It's 100 degrees. Okay? You know what I'm saying? I was about to John Q they ass in that bad boy. Like, I was furious. So I go home and I'm like, is that thunder? Yeah. Anyway, I don't know if y'all could hear that. But, um, okay, so she sends me home. So I'm at home like, I will find a way to get this baby out of me. Let me go to my lair. You know what I'm saying? So I go to research and like, ways to induce labor. Like, oh, this baby getting up out of me today. I don't know what you thought this was. I don't know who you had me confused with. Okay, but this baby's coming out today, baby. So, I look up different concoctions and I come across this herb called blue ginseng, also called 
blue cohosh. It can be blue or black ginseng, blue or black cohosh. Okay. So what this, now at the time, all I saw was things that may induce labor. And I saw that as a list. I didn't necessarily read what it does to induce the labor. All I saw was that it could, but I didn't, I didn't research how. Okay. So <laughs> I go down to my local health food store and purchase a vial of the blue cohosh. Take it home. I look at the directions and it's like place like three droplets in some water or tea. And I'm like three droplets. So I dump the whole thing into some tea. Okay. <laughs> so I dump the whole thing into the tea and I drink it. So I drink it and I wait. Like I'm just like looking at my belly like, okay. You know, this should be happening any second now. So nothing's happening. So, you know, a few hours go by and I'm like, you know what? I give up. This baby is just never coming. Okay, I'm going to just sit here and be pregnant the rest of my life. So now the hairstyle I had got done was already like old because I was getting it done thinking I'm about to have the baby and didn't. So I was like, well, I'm just going to take my hair out because... This is old anyway, so I go to taking my hair out. So I get like literally halfway done with taking out the braids. And all of a sudden, I'm going to show you like how it looked with my stomach. Like all of a sudden, my stomach was like, it looked like there was like an alien breaking itself out of my body. Okay. So I'm sitting back and I'm like, what the, what the hell? <laughs> so... I call my baby daddy in the room and I'm like, I made, I'm having the baby. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Elijah, it's like he was in that bad boy, like, you know what I'm saying? And I'm like, oh my God, what did I just get myself into? So I'm like telling my baby daddy, I'm like, I think I'm having a baby. I said, I'm having contractions. And he's like, and I'm like, you have to see how far apart the contractions are. And he's like, okay, okay, uh, uh, one, uh, two. And I'm like, damn it, you're an idiot. <laughs> I'm like, you're an idiot. Call my mom. Just call my mom, okay? So my mom gets there. She has my younger brother with her and, like, my younger brother. And it's early in the morning, too. It's like, what time was it? Dang, I want to say it was like after 12, 30, 1 o'clock. It was really late at night. So I'm like, just call my mom. So my mom comes. She shows up. My little brother is showing up like itching his eyes like, oh. you know, he looking like, oh, why should I be having a baby right now? I'm trying to sleep. <laughs> so my mom comes and she's like, oh my God, get your stuff. And we get in her car and... We're driving to the um to the birth center. So, you know, we call my OB. Like, she's like, mom's like, she's having the baby. And she's like, well, how far apart are the contractions? And I'm like, they're zero minutes apart. They're just coming nonstop. There, it, was, it wasn't even like a contraction. And then it was like just my stomach was just like doing one like nonstop contraction. It felt. So I'm like, oh, my God. So... We're driving to the hospital and my brother is like, has these headphones on. He's like listening to like some heavy metal. My brother is one of those like black rockers. So he's like, why well, shouldn't I say black rockers? Because we invented rock and roll. But y'all know what I mean. Like one of them black, like in a group of all white friends, that one black guy that wears like Hollister flip flops. That's my brother. So, um, so he's like listening to some heavy metal music. And my mom's like, are you serious? Turn that off. Your sister's having a baby. And you're trying to listen to this stupid music. And my brother's like, I don't want to hear her crying because she's having her stupid baby. You know what I'm saying? My mom's like, oh my God. How could you be so insensitive? And I'm like, shut up, everybody. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> so we get to the birth center. And she puts me in the water and I sit down and I'm just like, and she's looking at me like, what is wrong with you? Like, what happened? And I'm like, I did something that I probably shouldn't have done. <laughs> and she's like, what did you do? And I'm like, 
<laughs> uh, I took some blue cohosh. She's like, are you serious? I'm like, yeah. She's like, well, how much did you take? I'm like, a whole bottle. She's like, she's like, we got to get you to the hospital. Because I was literally like starting to like pass out from the pain. Because the blue cohosh basically makes your uterus contract. Because if you take it in the early, early stages of pregnancy, it can actually cause you to have an abortion because it contracts your unit, your uterus. So now the blue cohosh is like putting my uterus into a contraction and then my own labor is doing contractions on top of that and it was just horrific pain. So now she's like, okay, we got to rush to the hospital because you're going to pass out from all the pain. So I'm like, oh God, you don't have to the hospital. Get to the hospital, give me an epidural. But by the time they gave me that epidural, that baby was coming out, honey. Like there was nothing anyone could do. So, you know, I'm pushing him out and I almost passed out again because I wasn't like breathing in between my pushes. I was just kind of like pushing nonstop because I was so scared to have a C section. I was like, oh my God, I don't want to have a C section. So, whatever I got to do. So, I'm in that bad boy, like. You know what I'm saying? Like, you got to breathe. My baby daddy was like, you got to breathe. Give her oxygen machine. She's not breathing. So, anyway, my whole labor was maybe a total of three and a half, four hours total. And so, finally, my baby boy comes out. And um, the nurse takes my baby. And she goes over to the, you know, area to clean him up. And she looks at him. I see her go like, oh, my gosh. So, I'm like. What? You know what I'm saying? So her colleague comes over and she look at my baby and she's like, wow. So I'm like, I swear to God, if y'all don't tell me what is going on, I'm going to have a heart attack. So she, I'm like, I want to see my baby. So they show him to me and he looked at me. He opened his eyes and he had the most beautiful like aqua blue eyes. And um, he looked at me and I looked at him and I was just, when I say boohoo crying, I mean, boo-hoo crying. I mean, he was just the most, the most. I'm like, I'm looking at him like, this is what was inside of me. I just made this. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's how I'm looking at him. I'm like, wow, I made this. Like, holy crap. Like, this just came out of my vagina. Wow. You know, so I it was love at first sight. Like, who said love at first sight is not a real thing? Love at first sight is definitely a real thing. Because I fell in love with that baby in that moment. There was nothing anyone could say or do to take that baby from me. Okay? So, you know, when I, uh, after I had my son, that's when my mother's health started declining harder um harder than before and about four months later is when she passed away and it's crazy because like up until the last like three four weeks of her life like she was literally like on her deathbed like trying to change my son's diapers and I would be like mom give him to me like you cannot be serious right now and she's like no I want to and she's like trying to change his diaper. And I know for a fact that she held on just to meet him. But just to know that she was able to welcome him here as she was transitioning out um, was a beautiful thing to me. Um, so at that time, you know, it's like my family had always just been my, me, my brother, and my mom. Like that's what it had always been. I mean... I mean, that's just what it was. So when I lost my mother, I really felt like I can't go on. Like that, that was my everything. Like that's all I had. But me having my baby boy, it just was like, I got someone I got to be here for. It gave me purpose. There's a reason that everything happens. Okay. So... Um, every time I felt overwhelmed, every time I felt like, you know, my mother passing away was something I couldn't recover from, 
I would just look at that baby and that would just make me keep going. And so me and my son, we grew together. I was trying to figure out how to raise this child. Um, it's so important when you're a new mother to have your, your, your mother there because she's going to really guide you on how to, what to do in emergencies, what to do when things change, how to raise this child, what's normal, what's not normal. You really depend on that. So when I didn't have that, it was very devastating to me. But my son was always so patient with me while I was trying to figure all this out. There's been times where me and my son, you know, have been on the streets, been homeless. There have been times where me and my son are sleeping in the back seat of my car, you know. And no matter where we are, my baby's still looking up at me, smiling. I love you, you know, never judging me, always sticking by me, never complaining. And we've we've been through a lot. And... To hold no resentment, okay? It's a beautiful thing. So, when I fast forward to today, 10 years later, I look at my baby and I'm just like, you know, you've been let down by so many people that should be there for you. It, you know, you've been let down and you've had your heart broken. You don't even know it. You know, at such a young age. So, it's like I go I go so hard for my son. And there are people that don't agree with the way I raise my son. Because something, what I can say, I'm a very loving, affectionate person. And I can say that in my past relationships, men that I've been with, they've had, some of them have had a hard time accepting my loving ways. Because they were not loved on from their mother. So, I love on my son constantly. And I have some people that don't agree with that. And they say, oh, you're going to make him soft. You're going to do this or that. But it's like, if I don't, who will? You know? So I, I, I look at how he's been let down by people who should be there for him. But he's still here. And he's still smiling. He's still a good person. I, I keep it real with him. He understands what goes on. and He doesn't let it change him. Okay, he still maintains his innocence, all right? Um, he's still considerate towards others. So I just admire him so much for that. And, and, and that's the importance for black men to have a black woman in their corner, whether it be a mother, their sister, at some point it will be their wife, you know, their daughters, whoever. Okay, you, you look at sports teams and how, why sports teams have cheerleaders. The cheerleaders are had not just to be there to look cute, the cheerleaders are there because men need that feminine balance to support them to perform at their best. They need that, okay? You know, there's a science behind that. That's not just something, you know, to look good or sound good. So I always told myself, you know what? I will be that cheerleader for my son. Um, I will be there for him. And to fast forward 10 years later to see his progress, to see where he's headed, to observe him, look at his mindset, I can say that I don't regret any of the love, any of the kindness that I have given to him because he's on the right path, okay? You know, we have to reflect. So he's hit a milestone. 10 years is a milestone. So we got to reflect on like, okay, so where are we? And um, he is just the love of my life. He is the love of my life. Um. I'm so excited to be able to celebrate with him. So, you know, we're going to be celebrating this week, you know, and, and making sure that we commemorate his day for him. But um, I just want to encourage us as black women, just continue to love our children. That's so important. We need that so much. Our children need that so much. Just, just love your children. You know, that's pretty much everything we've been talking about in this week's show is about our children, about loving them and why loving them is so important. It's love they won't get from anywhere else. So I just want to send a special happy birthday and a special, special I love you out to my son, Elijah Mackay, the love of my life and the most handsome, sweetest son a mother could want. 
And so I just want my baby to know I love him. So y'all, you know, go ahead and let it manifest in my baby some happy birthday love. Because, you know, we definitely, we're, we're taking it all. He's taking it all. And um, I'm just excited to just experience the rest of them with him. So now we hit the milestone of 10. And then at 13, he'll become a man. We'll do a rites of passage ceremony for him. So we're on our way. So happy birthday to my young king. Imhotep's brilliance was not limited to architecture alone. The builder of the world's first colossal stone structure was also gifted in many other areas as well. He was a scientist, priest, educator, scribe, poet, astronomer, and the pharaoh's grand vizier. But arguably, his greatest contribution was in the science of medicine, that of being the world's first physician. He had such a profound impact on the idea of a, what is a scientist, what is a thinker. See, Imhotep was a quintessential scientist. Not only was he the architect of the first massive stone building in history, the Step Pyramid of Saqqara, but he also cataloged thousands of medicinal uses of plants. Not, he didn't just sit and list plants. He said, this plant is used to help cure this. So you put this plant on your eye, if your bee stings you on your eye. You take this plant, put it on an open wound, you know, if this wound is taken. You take this plant, if you're suffering from indigestion, you take this. 3,000 medicinal uses of plants. Historically, students who graduated from medical school take the Hippocratic Oath, named after Hippocrates, the recognized father of medicine. But is he the true father of medicine, or is it really the African Imhotep? We are taught that Hippocrates, from, from a Western perspective, was the father of medicine. And of course, from a Western perspective, he may be in, in that sense, because people do tend to look at it from their own narrow perspective. But Imhotep was before Hippocrates and helped to lay the foundation for the kinds of medicine that we do now. One of the main reasons we have got a lot of got nonsense about Hippocrates is because we haven't even read what he said. Read what Hippocrates said. He said, I am a child of Imhotep. He was beholden to this African who lived nearly 2,000 years before he was born. He worshiped at the shrine of Imhotep. Sir William Oshler, one of the founding physicians at Johns Hopkins Hospital, writes of Imhotep. He was the first figure of a physician to stand out clearly from the midst of antiquity. Indeed, he was. Imhotep diagnosed and treated over 200 diseases, 15 diseases of the abdomen, 11 of the bladder, 10 of the rectum, 29 of the eyes, and 18 of the skin, hair, nails, and tongue. Imhotep is believed to have treated tuberculosis, gallstones, appendicitis, gout, and arthritis. He also performed surgery and practiced some dentistry. This is the world's oldest known surgical document, the Edwin C. Smith Papyrus. Edwin Smith was merely a purchaser of precious antiquities. He had no ownership in its genius. That belongs to the African Renaissance man, Imhotep. And that brings us to my favorite segment, the king or queen of the week. This week, it is a king, Imhotep. Now, Imhotep, as we just heard, was many things. He was an architect. He was an engineer. Most prominently, a physician. And a step further than a physician, a surgeon. Now, this goes back to the question I ask all the time for the college, the black college students. When are you going to demand that these universities that you are spending thousands and thousands of dollars with, when are you going to demand that they give your ancestors the proper credit for their inventions and contributions to Medicine, science, astrology, and everything else that we are responsible for inventing. That we have our ancestors responsible for these things, yet we're pledging Greek and rushing Greek. Okay? It is a sl it's such a slap in the face to have your ancestors be the inventor of these things. And to this day, even with all the information that we have, 
to still be giving credit for the Greeks. You heard Dr. Clark. Okay, they, they give Hippocrates, what a perfect name for him. They give Hippocrates the the uh, the credit for being the father of medicine. And even he said, like, he, he didn't even say I'm a student of Imhotep. He's saying, I am a child of Imhotep. I mean, that's the big daddy of it all. So now what does what does the psychotic European do? Because they just can't stand to not get the credit for this. They simply just lie, plaster themselves in history as being the inventors of all this. And you know what? If you go to a European based information source, do you know what they will say about Imhotep? They will say it was rumored that he was a practicing physician. <laughs> They'll have like one small sentence about that. They'll say, uh, there's no physical evidence that Imhotep was a practicing physician or surgeon. Purely psychotic, purely a lie. And look it up. I, I challenge you, go to any kind of Wikipedia, Britannica, go to any of it. Any European-based information source like that, guarantee you they are going to say something to the effect like, you know, it was said or there's no proof he was a physician. Because meanwhile, you want to give your own Greek ancestor credit, Hippocrates, as being a father of medicine. So they'll say, oh, there's there's no physical evidence of, of Imhotep being a surgeon. Meanwhile, plot twist there is not only evidence, but there is actual real physical evidence of his tools that have been found and still available. Surgical instruments. I mean that you could today go look at and hold in your hand. And yet these psychotic ass people will still come forward and say it was rumored that he may have dabbled in medicine. <laughs> All right, so this is why it's so important to educate ourselves on our history and our people because I, I think it's hard for us to accept sometimes the length that these psychotic people will go to to make themselves look good. They will physically lie. I mean, in published work, in black and white words, lie. So this is why we got to educate our children. So this is our homework for this week. Let's educate our children on on. on on their ancestors, so they know the standard they have to be held to. When you know Imhotep, the inventor of medicine, the master of architecture, engineering, astrology, science, when you know that that's your great-great-grandfather, it gives you a little bit more of a standard to be held to, right? So educate our children. This is so why it's so it's important for us to do our own research, have our own discussions, because this is real education. This is stuff that you what how they say you won't see it in stores. This is like you won't see it in books. So shout out to our king of the week, Imhotep. So I couldn't let this episode finish without talking about this. Let me think of a a proper word to call her. I can't think of a word that's not a bad word to call her. So I'm just going to say this thing. Uh, <laughs> so let's talk about this thing. I know y'all seen Permit Patty cutting up. Now this video of Permit Patty was just so... It was so... I, 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 I'm, I'm trying so hard, you guys, to clean up the language in the show. But sometimes I have a hard time finding words that are the equivalent of the bad words I want to say to describe how I feel about something. Because what I really want to say about Permit Patty and describing that situation, I can't really. It's just not appropriate. So I'm just going to try to say this the nicer way I can. But what was so interesting about the video is... How when the woman started to record Permit Patty, like, you know, hey, this is a racist, white privilege, white supremacist woman that's calling the child on, that's calling the police on an eight-year-old child. How when she was being recorded, how she physically was hiding. How 
when the camera was on her and, you know, she's being shown carrying out her racist, discriminatory behavior, how she's, like, trying to duck. Like, she doesn't want anyone seeing her being a maggot. So that's the that was a perfect representation of how the racists really work. And that's why I say, you know how you handle a racist? In two ways. Number one, if you're able to sue them for whatever acts of racism that they exhibited towards you, then do that. Because they don't care about the fact that they hurt your feelings or that they disrespected you. They don't care about that. They don't have a conscience. So, you know, crying to them about how what they did and how it hurt you, that's frivolous. There's no point. They don't care. Now, you hit them in the pockets, then they care. And the other thing you do is expose them. They hate that. Racist people hate nothing more than to be exposed. They want to be racist and carry out their racist behaviors in private. They don't want to have to answer to anyone. They don't want anyone to see them because racism is cowardly. So it's no coincidence that majority of people who are racist are also cowards. They don't want you recording them. They don't want anyone to see them. They want to be able to be racist on the low low. Okay, so that was what was so interesting to me is I'm looking at her like, girl, you are literally like trying to hide behind a wall. If you really feel as though there's nothing wrong with what you're doing, what are you hiding from? Like, what the? I, I was just like, you know what? These people have lost their mind. And what's happening is we're just seeing more and more. Like I said, they've been doing this. We're just getting it on film. But the more you put this on film, the more other idiotic, racist white people are able to see that and carry out the same behaviors. When they when they say, okay, you know, if a black person pissed me off or do something I don't want them to do, I can just call the police and then the police are going to do what I want. And it just, to me, it just builds confidence in them every time they see that. Okay, because you would never see that be the other way around. You would never see a black woman calling the police on a little white girl that's eight years old. Like, hello, officer? Yeah, she's out here selling water. We wouldn't even do that. Because we know they don't, they don't care. They're not going to say that just because we call, they're going to do something. Like, wow, to have that confidence that you could call the police on an eight-year-old black girl and get a response or some action, you really felt that way? Like you really felt like with your when your white words and your white tears get on the phone that whatever you say is gonna be it. So white people know every time they act like they don't know about their privilege, they know because that was a perfect example of it. She know about her privilege because ain't nobody else doing that. Okay, they're the only ones that's doing stupid stuff like that because they're the only ones that even feel as though it's gonna get them anywhere. And what's the other typical thing that happens when? You know, white people get caught being racist. Then they play the victim. Then she gets all on TV like, I'm receiving death threats. It was, then Then the next step is, say it was, it had nothing to do with color. It was nothing racial. And now people are saying horrible things to me. Bitch, shut up. Shut the hell up. There is a literal racist, like, I, I got caught being racist process that all racist white people go through. They all do the same thing when they get caught. I'm so tired of it. I'm just like, yawn. <sighs> same steps as always. First step is anger. Second step is fake remorse. Third step is denial. And fourth step, when all else cry, when all else fails, cry. Because white women really feel like though there's power in those white tears. Honey, cry me a river. Cry me a sulfuric river. Little see-through, okay? So, I, I'm, I'm sorry. You know, we're, we're way out of time. This episode has gone way over. We're way out of time. But I just had to, I just had to hit y'all with that. Like, so did you see, like, like, Salon saw it? Like, uh-uh. Now you know she tried it. <laughs> It's just so many things. I saw another woman. I gotta get the names of these mofos before I, I be recording because I be I be forgetting their names. I guess I don't want to even take up space in my brain remembering their names. Gotta be what it is subconsciously. But um, did y'all see the other chick that was on um uh, she was on some news source and she was talking about how she visited 
the camps where they were holding the the immigrants, separated immigrants or whatever. And she was like, um, and and I'm not kidding. This is exactly what she said. I'm not kidding. I'm like, I'm not going to exaggerate this. This woman actually said this and she said this on television and she goes, well, I, I, I was, I, I I visited the facility and I spoke with, you know, I, 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 I had a few conversations with, you know, a few, you know, um, you know, uh, African-Americans and, you know, they, they were, they were telling me as far as I could understand, they were telling me that these attention camps are luxury that, it, you know, that this is way better than the living conditions that they were in living in the projects. <laughs> Bruh, I just said, I mean, at this point, I mean, this is not some, I mean, we just, these people are psychotic. I mean, this, this is proven. So I'm not going to get in my feelings, get shocked every time something psychotic or lies come out their mouth. But it's still just funny, I guess. I guess sometimes it's funny to just, like, see it happen, especially when it happens, like, on live television. Like, wow, y'all will lie on live TV. Look right in the camera and lie like a rug. That's crazy. Like, y'all really crazy as hell. You, the black people told you that these detention centers are way better than the projects. You know, let, let's just go ahead and do this. I'm going to go ahead and do this because I, I see... Y'all getting out of control. Okay. This is the last straw, matter of fact. I decided. I, I've had enough of this. White people, I'm going to tell you right now. Let, let's just go ahead and do this and save us all the trouble. White people, whenever you are getting ready to open your mouth about black people in regards to black people, anything having to do with black people, this is what I want you to do. Close your mouth. Just close your mouth. Just don't even try. Y'all, we have given y'all chances to attempt to be diplomatic and make it real for us and make it sound good. and But I, I, let's just stop, okay? Whenever you are getting ready to mention something about black people and how they feel and what they told you, just just don't, okay? Y'all just stop. Just don't, don't do it anymore, okay? Y'all cannot be trusted, okay? Y'all have taken it too far. <laughs> well, this is way better than the projects, bruh psychotic anyways uh so we're out of time we're way out of time this week um everybody i hope you enjoyed the show keep doing what y'all been doing the support has been enormous shout out to pop darby on the hoodie our unity is our wealth it's a movement um I appreciate the topics that I've been getting in. I still, you know, I'm still going down the list trying to get everyone's topics in here and amongst my own topics. But there's just so much to be said on so many things that it's so difficult to kind of like only keep the show between 30 and 45 minutes. I try to every week, but it's like we got by the the time another week goes by, I'm like, there's just so much going on. So... Anyway, thanks for listening to this week. We're going to continue the conversation next week. Next uh, for next week. Once again, everybody, I want to remind you: check out my products on sixthegoddess.com. I have all natural hair products for men and women, as well as jewelry and different makeup items. So check me out. Support a sister. Also, remember if you ever want to dedicate to the efforts of African American, you can do so by either Cash App, and it is Cash Sign six the goddess and there's also a space on my website for donations to the show as well so peace love and black power as always and we will see you all next week